That's me on the podcast Sharing a song With something to say about it With Thin Lear And Niagara Moon Losing my opinion So I feel like you're always uh, sitting in a different room every time we do this thing. What are you, like Louis the Sixteenth? You got like a uh, hundred different rooms? This is a palatial house, yes. Clearly. Uh, there's a lot There's a lot of rooms, a lot of places I can go. Mainly I'm just going where Alma isn't yelling. Uh, and that <laughs> takes me to different places. Sometimes I'm in the attic, sometimes I'm in the basement. Mostly I'm in the basement, uh, yeah. so we can slide food under the door and things like that. Well, you just wait till she can uh, climb up and down stairs, then you're really in trouble. She's actually pulling herself up in the crib now, oh, and it's shit. quite terrifying <laughs> and great. Uh, but speaking of terrifying and great, uh, Nate last week delivered again another shocking ending to the podcast. Uh, that was quite something. It was a very PC episode. I mean, I love Matt Farley. Uh, that was great. Oh, yeah. But I was not expecting uh, that ending. And I thought, I thought, I thought he knew him. I was like, oh, I thought there was more of a connection there. I guess I was wrong. And then, boom, it hit us. Yeah, he really uh, hid that well. I did not know what to expect. It it was the same. (laughs) He does it every time because it was the same sort of -of out-of-body experience that I had when he played that insane uh, (laughs) uh, song from the song mashup of of rap skits the last time where it was like, I can't believe this is happening. You know what? I, I bet he's really good at Among Us if he's ever played that. He could totally be the imposter and you'd never know. I don't know what that is. Is that for Super Nintendo? Uh, you're too old. You're too old. Is, that a super, is it N64? No, it, it... Oh, God. All I'll say is I think we're far away enough out of quarantine that I don't think as many, at least adults, are playing that game anymore. But, uh, Nate, uh, yeah, that episode was one for the ages. Would definitely love to have him back again. Back on what you ask, uh, this podcast called "Losing My Opinion." I am Smooth. the uh, the esteemed artist Niagara Moon, also known as Thomas. I say like you're the overlord of this podcast. Well, I am that too, and the overlord. I'm uh, the deputy. No, I'm the sheriff. You're the deputy. I am a kind of deputy. Yeah, I'm like an underling. Uh, mm. I am Thin Lear, <laughs> aka Matt Longo. I'm not going to do and, the third one, but and uh, oh, also known as Daddy. That yep. one, right. Yeah, and uh, we're both uh, we're both talking tunes as we always do. Um, we both have some music to share with the other today. The other person has no idea what to expect, and uh, we're going to see how much we can surprise each other with our uh, bonkers uh, musical opinions. Bonkers, indeed. Uh, well, so before we say anything else, I want to just preface this by saying I'm talking about something I like today. So if the listener wants to shut it off now. <laughs> They, you, now is the time. Assholes. Now is the time to do it. <laughs> do we can't it. torture ourselves with Coldplay every week. Come on do now. Do it now. I was, speaking of tangents, man, I was shocked at how viscerally I felt when you attacked Coldplay. It's it's such a, and I don't even like love that band. I, you know, I, I, I like those few albums and those, those, those few songs. And, mm-hmm. and yet when you went after them, I was like, I felt very, I got very heated. Yeah, you didn't realize how much you liked them. That might be true. Yeah. Uh, is there a band that you think from your era that if I went after them, that you would feel that way? Like that level of popularity? My era. 
the fuck is my whatever hat? that I mean, is i don't know uh, none that i think you'd attack like i will defend vampire weekend any day of the week mm. uh other examples i don't know to, i'll get back to you on that one that's like even vampire weekend that was too cool compared to the Coldplay thing. It would oh, have to yeah. be. No, it's, 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 it's insulting that I compared the two. <laughs> it's like, uh, Oh no, man, I love, I love grizzly bear. Uh, yeah, yeah. TV no, on the radio. Uh, who knows? Maybe this band today, uh, that I'm going to talk about later. You might not like them. Hey, are you going first? Is that what we're doing today? I can go first. All right. You go. I'm a gentleman. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll go what first. You got? Yeah. Or I guess it would be the opposite of that, but all right. So <laughs> I'm a gentleman, gentleman first. <laughs> gentleman walks through. Yeah, the same goes. goes. <laughs> yeah. Right. I let myself in. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, shut it off now because I'm talking about something I enjoy. Uh, it has to happen every so often. I want to talk about a band today that tends to get lumped in with, and I'm, please don't make fun of me, the 60s flower power scene. Uh, Called it, yep. And I don't necessarily fault music critics for doing this. Yeah, I know, I'm the 60s guy. Uh, they wrote a pretty seminal 60s flower power tune Okay. called Do You Believe in Magic? Uh, do you know this song? Uh, probably if I heard it, but it's not ringing bells, uh, from the get go. Fantastic. So we can have like a context free episode today. Uh, that's perfect. And I can understand, you know, for the list, a lot of listeners are going to know that song and I can understand why someone might not dig it or feel like it's very firmly stuck in like sixties, uh, flower power bullshit. Uh, what do you know about the love and spoonful? Have you ever heard of this band? I've definitely heard that name a lot. Oh. This is great. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, I know they're, I lump them in with the mamas and the papas. I feel like those That's two That's a good call. Always, I'm sure the second you play one of their songs, it'll be like, oh yeah, I've heard this in like 15 different movies. But yeah, I'm drawing a blank right now. That's a good call. Uh, well, here's my argument. So this is a band that's due for a hipster reappraisal mm. they never had their come to jesus moment with gen x or millennials the way like let's say the kinks did or the zombies where we can say like oh this is very cool um they're definitely not as cool sounding as the kinks or the zombies they're a hell of a lot more fun though so i know you like when i uh give you titles you know we were just kind of talking about like what titles really pop in mm -hmm. the algorithm let's say so uh, you rely on me for that, and I'll keep providing that until you tell me to stop. Yeah, you got a stellar record with that so I have far for episode good, titles. Pretty good track record. So uh, my title today for this segment is An Underrated American Band Unfairly Cloaked in the Visage of 60s Flower Power. Oh, you lost me at Visage. Do you think, or you could say Visage, uh, do, you, do you think that uh, that's going to get us clicks? Uh, all the clicks, as long as uh, the people are 75 years or older. Man, I knew it. I knew it. Well, I know my audience. You know, you can't. <laughs> so, that, yeah, that's who comes to Thin Lear shows, right? <laughs> the, uh, comes, the gray hair generation. The, they, they come out in droves. These are my people. Uh, so anyway, this band, Love and Spoonful. You got John Sebastian, who might ring some bells for you. because That he, name does sound familiar somehow, yeah. He played at Woodstock. He had a hit with a song, there they are, and some very tight turtlenecks. Uh, they had a hit with that song, Welcome Back. Or he, no, 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 he had a hit with the song called Welcome Back in his solo mm. career. Okay. Uh, that's a song that you would definitely know because they play it in like Applebee's commercials post-pandemic. Welcome back. You know that tag? 
No? All right. I'm not watching Applebee's commercials. I don't know what you're up to. How do you not watch? Do you, are you going to say you still don't have cable? Is that the excuse for The that? algorithm knows me well enough. They've, they've decided I'm not going to Applebee's, so grammarly it is. I'm not going to Applebee's either, but they're <laughs> sending it my way. Uh, but anyway, so you got John Sebastian. He's the primary songwriter. That dude is a tunesmith. Just a hell of a tunesmith. All right. Uh, you got Zalianovsky on guitar, who is just an incredible guitar player. Got some very bad press because of a drug bust that we will talk about yeah. later. Ooh. But a very what funny drug sixties musicians were doing drugs. Is that what you're telling me? It is shocking, but yeah. I think it was for weed too. So it's like kind of Oh man. It's pretty whack. The hard stuff. Yeah, this is not like an Iggy Pop situation. Uh you got Joe Butler on drums. He also sometimes does vocals. And this guy sings better than most front men, but mm. he plays drums as well. Uh okay. Steve, Steve Boone on bass. So this band on record, they sound like they're working their asses off and not in a bad way. Mm. They're just constantly more than the sum of their parts. They started out, you said Moms and the Papas, and I don't know how you kind of knew that there was some connection between those bands, but they were floating in similar kinds of circles. They were a folky kind of group in Greenwich Village. Uh, they had this like kooky jug band kind of feel. Their songs that they play that I could envision like an animatronic band playing <laughs> like uh, Emmett Otter's jug band Christmas or something. Oh, what the fuck are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, no like the Muppets. Okay. I didn't know the Muppets. Did you have, did you see animatronic uh, uh, bands as a there's child? There's the, the Oompa boys at Yankee Candle. See, I don't know what they, that is. They were an animatronic uh, polka band at Yankee Candle. So you get what uh, I'm saying. That yes, kind of like oh, good, totally, good yeah. time, Na naturally, yeah. Fluffy robot animal feel uh -huh. is a vibe that I envision this band kind of embodying because it's just fun. Right. Yeah, uh, they inspired the safe for kids. I think so. Yeah, uh, they inspired the Grateful Dead. They soundtracked a few movies. Yeah, uh, I think a Woody Allen movie. We don't have to bring that up. Ooh. Uh, but really, only a handful of records, and they're all solid. Uh, only three records with the original lineup. And they're they're good. I kind of okay. think of them as like, uh, you know, Credence Clearwater Revival. Please tell me you know them. Do I know Credence Clearwater Clearwater Revival? <laughs> I mean, I've only seen The Big Lebowski like four times. Okay, so you know of them. I'm a fan. I, I like them. Yeah. Okay, so like, this is like their laid back, goofy older brother, like a non a non Southerner's take on country music, jug band music. Also, Credence are all from like California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like this is these yeah, are yeah. these are non-Southerners taking on country music and funneling it through the lens of '60s pop. I gotcha. Okay, all right. Now I'm cu I'm curious to to hear what this uh, what's all going to sound like. Am I hyping it good? Uh, yeah, hyping it pretty good. Yeah, I'm yeah. ready. I'm ready for my my hipster uh, revisit here. I'm talking to the right guy. Uh, the Beatles, I know, because we we need to get the click. So the the Beatles tune. <laughs> Good Day Sunshine was Paul McCartney's attempt to write a Love and Spoonful style song. Now you're putting things in perspective. All right. Oh, yeah. And you, once you hear them, you're going to understand why McCartney liked it. Because like, these are tightly constructed pop songs. They're like whimsical. Yeah. It's right up his alley. They're probably all super short, too, like two minutes, <laughs> two ten. It's so funny you said that because I was looking at one of their records. It's like there's so many songs that are under two minutes. It's like, how yeah, is this possible? Yeah. Uh, the Beatles, in general, loved uh, the album Daydream which I think mm. is also their best record. I think you know that song. Okay. Um, Kinks also loves this band. So All right. they have some a lot, of, a lot of endorsements here. Good, good cosigns. Uh, I'm going to play you 
This first track here is called Darling Companion. This is a song that was covered by June and Johnny Cash for their Live at San Quentin album. Uh, there's actually a long tradition of country artists covering The Spoonful, Dolly Parton, Earl Scruggs, a whole bunch of folks. Mm. And I think you're going to hear why in a second. All right. Darling Companion. I'm you in ready. there? I really want to get your take on this. I actually think you might like this band outside of this podcast. Outside of this album cover. Yeah. Outside of this okay. album cover. Oh, come on. That is tight. <laughs> it's uh, tight. Everything's wrong with it. Hums of the Love and Spoonful. All right. Let, play me the music. Okay. Darling companion, come on and give me understanding and let me be your champion. The hand to hold your pretty hand in, darling companion. This is all the things you, you know said it was. I hear the Grateful Dead, I hear the everything is in this. Yeah, I worked hard on that intro. Darling companion, heaven knows what we'll be landing just as long as the vocals are way less hippy dippy. How do you how do you mean? Explain. They don't sound like sixties airheads like a lot of those other groups, even if I like the songs. I agree with that. They it sounds like a working man. Yeah, there's an earthy quality to it. Yeah, groundedness. And you can see why like a guy like Johnny Cash would be like, hey, I can I can work with this. This is country rock, yeah. yeah. All right, is your interest peaked? Yeah, it's like uh, a working man's dead track. It is. It is. Uh, and I believe that... And actually, John Sebastian played harmonica on CSNY uh, album, Deja Vu, which I know you know. So that he, checks out? Yeah, he's, he was floating around. Um, so you did, did you enjoy that song? That was good vibes, yeah. It's, uh, it's no-nonsense, like... Perfect for that era. Uh, kind of reminded me of the Beatles' "Act Naturally" cover. Yes, uh, little little bit better fidelity, but uh, yeah, just that's if you're in that pocket, that's 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 pretty easy for me. That's that's a nice spot. Indeed. All right, so now I'm going to play another tune. That this was John Lennon's favorite spoonful song. It was actually in his jukebox, I think, when they went through all of his shit. They <laughs> found this. Uh, in his jukebox. This is a song that I'm pretty sure that you know. Uh, I'm interested to get your take on this song, because if you haven't heard it, um, it's one of my favorite tunes of theirs, and it's just like very easy to love. This cover's a little easier on the eyes, too. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, they've murdered John Sebastian there. What a day for a daydream. What a day for a daydreaming boy. And I'm lost in a daydream. Sounds like Nelson. Oh yeah, Nelson before Nelson. And even if time ain't really on my side, it's one of those days for taking a walk outside. I'm blowing the day to take a walk in the sun and follow my face on somebody's new mode long. Been having a sweet dream. Yes, that's good. You can hear this came out like a little before Revolver, and I hear like I'm only sleeping in this, and ah. 
It's just a tight song. This song is two minutes and 21 seconds long. Yeah, it's definitely a relic of its era, but like if I, if I was making like a Netflix dark comedy, I'd have this in the montage where like the main character who's a loser like wakes up and like gets evicted and like gets bit by a dog or whatever, like all on the same day. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, they have a lot of songs that like sound like old timey song and dance tunes. Like it's a song that could have been yeah. released in the 30s. Right, it's, that's the Nielsen thing, like taking inspiration yeah. from like 40s and 30s, like uh, dance hall or whatever. Mm-hmm. And funneling it through that 60s lens. And I'm not going to play you, Do You Believe in Magic? I don't think that's a bad song. I, I think it's for sure overplayed on like Boomer Radio, but... Uh, Boomer Radio, <laughs> B-O-O-M. <laughs> Boom, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we should just honestly just do that. Probably be more successful, but... Uh, Right, so Daydream, great song, probably one of my favorites of theirs, unimpeachable songwriting. Uh, I'm going to play you now a song called Summer in the City. And this is great because I didn't think I would actually be able to play this song because I was certain that you'd know it. You'd be like, nah, man, like I know this one. I've heard it a million times. Um, but you have not. There we go. Back when you could be a pop star and just look like a total dweeb. This guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know this song, right? I don't like this one as much. You don't like this one? You don't like that keyboard? I don't like the vocals. Mm, I don't like these, like, overreaching chord changes. Oh, man. This is like the pompous, full-of-itself, hippy-dippy 60s quality that I was hoping we'd avoid, that we didn't have in the other tunes. Okay. I mean, I think mm, the song is a little breakdown. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's cheese. That's Cheese City for me, man. Sorry. But listen to listen to this keyboard riff right here. Tell you're gonna tell me this is not good. I like the slapback echo. Listen to these drums. Listen to mm. this. I mean it's still fun, like I'm still gonna listen to it if it comes on, but this is the sort of like '60s flower pop shit that I uh, I normally kind of turn away from. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I do love that song. It would though. take like uh, Tarantino using that again. I come back to like like song placement analogies, but Tarantino using that like in a really dark, like twisted, like kind of fucked up moment of his movie. If he had like that song contrasting it, I, I feel is like that, that what would, it uh, takes for hipsters to get something brought back to sometimes life? Sometimes it does. God be, damn it. That, that was a little cheesy. What you just showed me was a little cheesy. Is Wes Anderson and Tarantino and all these motherfuckers, like if they play these songs, does that somehow drain the cheese out of They are the gods areas? of taste. They control our uh, our opinions. Okay. Yeah. Controlling my opinion. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to play you a song now that I'm really going to be mad if you don't like this one. This mm-hmm. is my favorite uh, Spoonful song. It's, if you want a cosign, it was played in Mad Men. Okay. Uh, it was played in an episode of Mad Men, which was very weird for me because I thought it's just not a song a lot of people know about, even from them. Okay. So when I heard it, I was like, am I lucid dreaming here? Uh this is just an incredible melody. The guitar work is ridiculous. I had a vinyl of this uh, that I essentially stole from my dad that I just wore out when I was a teenager. And I wish I could play guitar like this. It's evocative. It's busy. Never steps in the song. 
Here, I'll just I'll play it, and you tell me how you feel about it. All right, Butchie's tune. Mm-hmm. And this is the drummer uh, singing, Joe Butler. Okay, cool. All right, now I'm back on board. Okay. <laughs> cool guitar tone. Don't give me a place for my memories to stay. Don't show me an end or a light to find a way. I like it. Mm. I ain't got time for the things on your mind, and I'm leaving you today. Kind of an unusual lead vocal, but I dig it. Yeah. I want you to hear the guitar solo. It comes up in a second. Like, I love country music, too. I think that's why I love Northerners doing their versions of country music. I'm just a sucker for it. Vocal sounds a little bit like Thin Lear, does it not? Just a tad. Oh, hey. I mean, I listen to this a whole lot. Got that same tremolo timber vibrato. Those drums are tight. Very focused. It knows exactly what it's trying to do. God, I love that fucking song. Love that song. Right. Again, two minutes, 40 seconds. You know, they, they get in, they get out. They, they do yep. what they need to do. This band, to me, just represents, like, pure joy in songwriting. I don't think they should be relegated to, like, the Incense Peppermints vibe. That's in no, the- I, Yeah, because you came into this, I was like, uh, in Crimson and Clover over and over. I'm, glad, I'm very glad we didn't go down that road. This yeah, is definitely a cut above. They have, they have songs that are closer to that, as you heard, but... I don't think it's the core of what they are, and I think they're due for a reappraisal, a reissue yeah. series, perhaps. Mm. Uh, maybe when we start our reissue our label, label, sponsored by Losing My Opinion. Oh boy! Well, that that was nice. You uh, you definitely uh, drove it home in, at the end there. I uh, I liked all that. I'm happy. I'm all glad. that stuff going on there. That it's a nice little pocket of unassuming, tasteful. Yes. Uh, very well executed uh, little country rock there. A little blast from the past. Um, the Boomers got some stuff right. I mean, that, that, that mm. 1960s, that's got a lot of... Uh... There's your title right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> no, they don't need to be told that any more than they already have. True. Um, hey, well, speaking of blasting, we're going to mm-hmm. blast to your segment now. <laughs> Whoa, in the outer space. That's in my opinion. Uh, we're working on our segues, folks. <laughs> so we're not talking about the 60s for my segment. No, no, no. But we are very distinctly talking about... About the 50s. No, we're talking oh. about the 1980s. Okay. I feel like we've been given the, the 80s a pretty bad rap overall on this podcast up until yes. now. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Well, the 80s kind of give themselves a bad rap, but yeah, we don't help things. <laughs> so where, where's this animosity coming from? I think that everyone fell in love with synthesizers, uh, which yeah. is not a problem, but it's just... If used correctly, which they were not, boy, were they not. There was a, a whole lot of, lot of overuse. Yeah. 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 There was this feeling right off the bat, if we're getting into it, it's like all this new music technology was coming out. 
And in, and but before that, what did you have? You had the '70s and all the musical evolution of that time. And instead of like kind of building off of all of that, it just felt like uh, it felt like a money saving tactic. It's like, all right, we don't need a drummer anymore. We're just gonna have a drum machine instead of a drummer. We're just gonna have the same like 12 sounds that you're gonna hear on every single song. Uh, we'll just buy a Yamaha DX7 and use the same <laughs> few patches. Like it, it wasn't like we're gonna build off of what we have and we're going to like continue to innovate and ex- i mean you totally do have artists like that of course like we're talking about right but the overall trend was uh, we're just gonna strip it down into these like same few elements and we're gonna cheap out and we're gonna just like get this on the assembly line and just paint by numbers and it's and all the, the garish like ridiculously overblown sonic trends of that area you just hear repeat it and then i feel like that kind of set the trend for like the nineties version of that with nineties equipment, but it just kind of yeah. started this like factory, uh, factory line mentality in some ways. And Is that just, what bothers you about the eighties? Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting to hear you say that too, because I, I always think of you as more synth leaning in your taste. So we got to use it right though. You can't, it can't just be like, Oh, I don't want to pay a bunch of people to play instruments. I'll just play keyboard that I can't stand. Right. And me. I don't have, and, and even if it is, you know, cheesy or whatever, or, or, um, you know, the production is like kind of relentlessly synth focused. Uh, I don't think it's a problem as long as the songwriting isn't abandoned. And I think that there was an over-reliance on the production value to kind of just like take care of songs that were half written. Yeah. Like, don't worry about it. The drums are going to get really big here. And yeah, it's it's like this fuck it attitude. We're just going to make a ton of money and move on. Yeah. Uh, but, I'm talking about the 80s today. I'm talking about, it's difficult for me to say this, but I, I, I came to this conclusion. I just, I can't deny it. My favorite band of the 80s. Whoa. Band of the 80s, not artist. Who's your favorite artist of the 80s? I don't even, I can't even wrap my head around that question right now. But okay. band of the 80s, I'm sorry, Talking Heads. That was a hard one. I thought you were going to say Talking Heads. Honorable mention to Talking Heads. My God, I do I love Remain in Light, but I, I, these folks I'm about to talk about, they edge them out. I'm sorry, XTC. I love Skylarking. I love Oranges and Lemons, but apologies, folks. I can't deny it. The band that just pulls at my heartstrings the most from this era in the 80s, and the great thing is I don't think you've heard of them. It's, uh, it's a band called Prefab Sprout. I have heard of them. Do you know much about them? I do not know much about them. Okay, good. But I have heard of them. I have, <laughs> I have a record uh, that I have not listened to that a friend of mine recommended to me. Let me find. Let me find it. Uh, I think it's like their second record or something. Yeah, it's probably uh, Steve McQueen. Yes. Or in America, we uh, they called it Two Wheels Good. Steve McQueen. Uh, and someone was like, you really like this. Yeah. You got to dig into it. And I said, yeah. And this was like maybe two years ago. And I, yep. I have it still and I have not listened. Okay. So. Cool. Um, out of the gate, I'll say that's probably their best album. Um, they have at least three albums that I love. But that's probably the one that ties together the best. And it's probably the one a lot of people would point to as like their most kind of undeniable effort. Um, they're my favorite band of the 80s. I'm focusing in on this this topic of the 80s because I feel like they're a band that benefited most from the trends of that era and made good use of them and, and embraced like what was going on sonically in that decade like more than any well not more than any other band but like 
as much as you could for like a uh, a thoughtful, you know, songwriting focus like a uh, folky rock band. Mm. Um, Wait, they're a folky rock band. They're it's 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 difficult. They're they're probably overall you'd call them sophista pop. Whoa, I, I do not know what that is. Yeah, it's like uh, you know, it's it's not too far from like Roxy Music's Avalon. Oh well, I I would love that. Mm, I well, love that. Right. I have today. that. I have that on my wall. I, I yes, yeah, love that that's record. What we're talking about today, Brian Ferry moving his shoulders around. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they are not that cool though. Um, I love this band. I the songwriter's genius. Everything about it. I love Patty McAloon, Wendy Smith, his brother Martin McAloon on bass. Fantastic bass player, but. They are Northern English dorks with weird teeth and like over complicated, weird lyrics. And I totally get why they didn't really break in this country much. Yeah, they definitely didn't break here because this is sort of like a very like uncut magazine thing here. I totally understand why they didn't hit it bigger. I'm not surprised about that. But for someone like me, oh, they hit such a sweet spot. Like I said, I do, my part of my argument today is I think they flourished so much in the 80s. And I wonder if you'll hear these songs and share your feelings on, if you agree, like if they had come up in the 2000s or the, if they'd come up in the 60s or even the 90s, like any other time, it wouldn't have hit home as hard, as, as lovely. Mm. Just the fact that they got to be popular in the mid 80s and uh, they had an ongoing creative collaboration with Thomas Dolby. Oh, wow. Well, that actually doesn't give me too much confidence in what I'm about to hear, though, because I can't say I'm a huge... <laughs> oh, She Blinded Me with Science is awesome, though, isn't it? There's no? a, there's a very It is awesome. There's a very funny meme with uh, Mulder uh, from the X-Files, like, squinting, and it says Mulder when he sees some science. Uh, <laughs> I think that's very funny. Uh, I, I think the thing about the 80s is, like, there's a lot of great, fantastic one-hit wonders like they just nailed it and it's like a, such a fun again relic of that era but like just in all the best ways but it's it's like that band only did that like 909 Luftballons like you know what i mean it was yeah, a very like yeah. singles focused time um Thomas Dolby like i don't know any songs of his besides she blinded me with science but Thomas Dolby the producer the George Martin to Prefab Sprouts Beatles this combo wow chef's kiss uh he produced almost like all of that uh, Two Wheels Good, the Steve McQueen album that you have. He produced half of the songs from the album that came after that, that I'll, we'll get into that la- later, from Langley Park to Memphis. And then he was all on board for uh, Jordan, The Comeback, which is, that's the most ambitious, bonkers one of the bunch. I really love that one. We'll, we'll see if we have time for it today. But the two of them, magic, just Thomas Dolby bringing all the best that 80s sensibilities had to offer to Patty McAloon, a brilliant songwriter. And they're my, they're the, for me, the best band of the 80s. Well, I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to hear what they sound like. Uh, you've already kind of dispelled whatever preconception I had about what they sounded like. What did you think they sounded like? I don't know, like some proto Stone Roses type thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're too they're too tight for that. They're they're sophistipop. They're not uh, baggy jeans. Okay. Um, I will say as we go through the songs I've selected today, I think your enthusiasm may wane. I think this is going to get a little too cheesy for you. That's my prediction up front. I think you'll 
I'm going to show you the the uh, a song from the album that you have already. I think that's going to be your favorite, and I think we're generally you're gonna you're gonna start having a confused look on your face. But I could be wrong. Wow. Okay. But, but I don't. Uh, but I don't think so. I thought you were gonna say. But I don't think so. Uh, we're uh, we're starting with the, this band is so tasteful, so tasteful that I have to start. I have to start with a song of theirs called Appetite. Okay. Uh, That's this is pretty stupid pun. <laughs> this is from uh, this is from Steve McQueen, 1985. Why Steve McQueen? They're just like Doug. He loves old shit. He loves. Steve McQueen and like motorcycles and they couldn't call it that in the States because they just anticipated there would be a lawsuit. So they changed the, uh, <laughs> yeah, probably right. the, the title to two wheels. Good. But <laughs> this song is called appetite Thomas Dolby, uh, man in the station here. And I think you're, I think you're going to like this tune a lot. Okay. And guns and roses covered this on appetite for destruction, right? They did. They changed yeah. some of the lyrics and some of the music and some of the core essence. But right. I, yeah, I mean, they, yeah, I hope they, they paid them uh, right. ASCAP or whatever. Welcome to the Jungle is what yeah. we're referring to, which they played at my gym the other day. That's a good workout song. That's, yeah, that. That, come on. Yeah. This does not sound like the Stone Road. Nope. This is very tight. Yeah. It's got that Hulk Hogan mustache. Female vocal. I hear why you said Avalon. Yeah, it's suave above anything else. It's polished, it's glossy. It is quite cool. So the synth flourishes in the background. Everything's very calculated. Tight song, huh? It is very tight. Yeah. I, I don't dislike it. I don't love it. I didn't think you'd love it. I don't love it. It's a little, it's a little, it's a little 80s for me, I guess is what I would say. Yeah, and I think no, you knew little, that because that's how you, you, start, you started the podcast talking about the 80s and the overuse of synths. Um, yeah, it's really tight. Uh I think why I like Avalon so much is because like they embrace the schmaltz. Like it's it's kind of it's a feature, not an accident. Yeah, this is like a byproduct. Because he is Patty McAloon is one of the least self conscious songwriters I've ever heard. Like he is so clearly living in his own world mm. and has kind of not really an idea of how his like thoughts and just overly complicated way of putting things like how that all comes off and how like precious it comes off. 
he is just in full artistic zone, like, oh, I'm exploring this kind of heady theme. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's nothing I ironic. I love him for it. There's yeah, nothing no, ironic about this. no, 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 no. It's sincere all the way, and I love him for it, but yeah. very dorky. Um, <laughs> Uh, so we're going to up the ante a little bit. Okay. That, that was, like I said, that's probably their most acclaimed album. Um, we're going to move on to the next one from Langley Park to Memphis. Uh, it's going to get a little more eighties in here. Oh boy. We're going to raise the, uh, raise the thermostat to, yeah, to 88 here. Um, I will warn you. So we're about to listen to a song called King of Rock and Roll. Um, they wrote it mostly as a joke, so of course it became like their best-selling single and like defined yeah. their career. As as yeah, what, happens. what happens. Uh, I will warn you, this song it's uh, it's gonna get in your head, and then like if you started playing this a lot, like if you were just driving down the streets of Hoboken blasting this, don't live in Hoboken, people, but yeah, if I were to drive there, people are gonna think you're really cool, like you are the coolest dude in the state if you if, uh, if you blast this out of your speakers. So we're going to listen really? to the king of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's exciting. I need I want people to think I'm cool. So Oh boy. I actually I like this better than the last song. Oh really? I do. Oh no! I, I do. I actually like this. I, like I love the breathy vocals. Yeah. Terrible hair and <laughs> teeth. No, I like this song because it's it's tongue in cheek. There's like a, a self awareness about this one. Suede shoes, my baby blues. Yeah, it's not bad. It all works. I mean, I'm not going to drive around Jersey <laughs> with this plastic, but... You're the king of rock and roll. <laughs> got right. Dolph Lunger in the video. Yeah, uh, I like that one. I do I do like that one quite a bit. It's it's catchy. It's There's a self-awareness to it. It's tongue-in-cheek. Um, and I don't just like it because it's amusing. I think it, it has a, a momentum. It's a fucking great pop song, I say. Yeah, it has a great momentum. It's good song craft. And like you wouldn't get it right away necessarily, but the song is written from the perspective of like a uh, an artist who well, artist would not even be the right word, like a, a has been pop singer who's known from the '50s for a song that is Hot Dog, Jumpin' Frog, Albuquerque, and they're just like limited to singing that for the rest of their career. Like oh, it's man. actually kind of melancholic uh, topic, but you know, then Sounds it's like hell. it's it's what we just heard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you imagine that song coming out in any other time? How do you produce a song like that in any other era? Can you do it? I don't know if you can. I mean, maybe you could get away with it in like bing, 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 bing. maybe early 2010s or something when people were really reaching to the 80s. But even then, you'd have to kind of mix it with something ironic. There'd, there'd be a sheen of cool, like detached ironicness that, you know, 
right? Yeah. I mean, like the closest I can think of to something modern would be like Twin Shadow or something like that, where, you know, he's pulling from those kinds of sounds. But, you know, again, with him, there's there's a, there's a more of an edge. It's too serious, right? Yeah. And it's also pretty melancholy. <laughs> well, you surprised me. I thought you would uh, chuckle me out of town with that pick, but... Uh... Um, I'm I'm uh, I'm gonna dig in further here. Okay. I'm gonna play another song from this album. Now, in fairness, this particular song I'm gonna play next was not produced by Thomas Dolby. He was he was not available because he was uh, making the soundtrack for Howard the Duck. Great choice there, huh? Well, he was in rec- he was in recovery, I think, from being blinded by science. Well, that that that's true as well. Yeah. How could we forget? But uh, so you know how you you do this more often than I. You know when you go into New York, yes. you see all the skyscrapers. <laughs> uh huh. Isn't there a song you associate with that moment? You're like, okay, I'm fucking, I'm going into the city now. Isn't there like a theme in your mind, kind of? You don't have any musical uh, connotation maybe with that. Scott Walker's "The Drift." It depends on what kind of mood I'm in when I'm <laughs> going in. <laughs> well, that's weird, but you know, it just it's a sunny day. You're it's driving like my into the city. Commute. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. people. That's like a people sing about that moment, don't they? Sure. Yeah. Um, so that's a little odd that you have uh, the drift on the mind, but I'm going <laughs> to no, show you this. I was just kidding if I'm in a bad mood. Uh, I'm going to show you the song that comes to my mind every time I, I drive through that fair city. From Prefab Sprout? From P-fab, P-fab Sprout. Uh, <laughs> from Prefab Sprout. This song is called Hey Manhattan. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, when I think about the city, I do think about England. Uh <laughs> This uh, this is a, an ode to that fair city that you uh, you once uh, lived in, worked in. So who who better than you to uh, loved to, in? Tell yes, exactly. Tell me tell me if you think he 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 uh, captures the magic and the passion of okay. Manhattan in the song Hey Manhattan. Sure, I can do that. All right. That was a nice hat. He looks so dorky. Guess what? Summer's arrived. <laughs> this is like the beginning of a Lonely Island song. The Brooklyn Bridge stretches below me. A billion souls all dying to know. Loaded with promise and need deep embrace. I don't know about this one. <laughs> this is not one of their better songs. I, I got it. Why? Throw that why out there. So you're showing it to me because I because I want you to think of this when you're driving in New York from now on, like I do. <laughs> I don't think this is gonna overtake whatever is in my head. Them till All right. I don't it's think there's a, a goofier, s- huh? single square inch of Manhattan that uh, touches this <laughs> song. <laughs> no, the song's too good for that dirty city. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, it did have maybe something in the 80s. All right. Well, 
I know we're we're running out of time here. I got to end on a better note. Got to got to leave yeah, bring, a better bring taste. Bring me in back mouth. in. I was I was I'm bringing you. you back in. I'm bringing you the prefab sprout song, the one song that my wife Wayne likes. Wow. Uh, and it's like we'll we'll play it out in the car sometimes. It's one of our go-to uh, sh- shared uh, favorites here. Um, when we were making a playlist for the DJ um, for the wedding, and uh, not not for the ceremony or anything, but you know, cocktail hour, what have you. This is one of the first songs that both of us thought of uh, to, of course, include. Oh my God, Thomas just had a personal moment. I did. On this podcast. Am a, I okay? Am I blushing? Personal, rare moment of vulnerability. Oh, no. Wow. <laughs> oh, no. Um, this song is called All the World Loves Lovers. What was your wedding song? Uh, Summer by Joe Hisaishi. I don't know. I don't know that song. It's an instrumental. Okay. We should I do a wedding it. songs podcast. Sure. <laughs> Whatever you say, boss. Uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's, end, let's end out the, uh, the program here with All the World Loves Lovers. I don't even know if you're going to like this one. This is Dolby written all over it, but uh, I have quite a fondness for this tune. Okay. Well, he produced that other one I liked, right? That's true. All right, here we go. All the world loves lovers. All the world loves people in love. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Love the seagulls. That was a seagull. All the world loves people in love. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Love whatever the price. You and I won't lose our heads. The way some love. On that bass. I don't I don't dislike this. You know, like I like um when it's just a year or two. Uh you that destroyer record be the fools. Kaput. Yes. So I like Yes, I like this totally kaput. takes this is kaput. like this is kaput. It's almost yeah. like you just rewrote this song mm-hmm. It has a nice uh, mood to it. I, I can't say it's something that I would like uh, be listening to a ton, but it has a, it has a good vibe, and it does. Yeah. So why do I why do I really love Kaput? But let's say I wouldn't really love this. Is it is it marketing? It's ironic and detached. I don't know. Well, the the like. Lyrical themes of that album are a lot kind of darker and more contemporary yeah. and like grounded and gritty. Yeah, yeah and his this vocals is like, are like very don't modern. forget it. Like, this <laughs> yeah. is just head in the clouds. Yeah. Yeah, this is not, there's nothing detached about this. He is attached, firmly. He's telling stories on that album. Yeah. 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 Mm. Well, what did we learn today? I have no idea what we learned today. <laughs> I know. I learned that uh, the Love and Spoonful are not just another baby boomer burnout, uh, hippie dippy bullshit. They, yeah. They're they're a tight uh, country rock act. Oh yeah, they're a lot that. tighter than that. I learned uh, prefab sprout that I should uh, one that I'm pretty good at pronouncing that name, which I would imagine I would mess up a lot more. But I should open the vinyl that my friend All gifted right. me. Oh, if you got if you got Steve McQueen on vinyl, you got to listen to that shit. 
I do, and it's from the that, UK. Oh, it's because that that is a well produced album. I envy you. Mm. Um, well, hell yeah! Uh, if you like this podcast, and why wouldn't you? Or even if you, you don't, should, or even if you don't, just do what we say. Uh, just do what we say. Yeah. S- subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We release every Wednesday. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter or Instagram or even TikTok. You get mm-hmm. to see what our faces look like. We share little clips. Um, you know, leave a rating or a review. Or a review. Do, do either of those things. Get, uh, get some hype going. Get us in the algorithm. And you know what? I gave you today what I would say is the, the band that made the most of the 80s. You said it was the best band of the 80s. Yeah, that, that was a, that was a big could claim. I be wrong now. But I don't think so. I, I think so. I, I think you're wrong today, but it was a good effort. And I would say, uh, so long, suckers. But take care of yourselves, you know, on top of that, on top of being a sucker. Stay safe, suckers. Stay safe, right? <laughs>